We're all missing travel right now, but you know what else we're missing? Getting more. With Priceline, you can save up to 60% on your favorite hotels, and you can also get exclusive deals on car rentals and flights. And when you save more, you can do more. More wow, mmm, and yes! Priceline knows that every trip is a big deal. So when you're ready to book your next one, visit Priceline.com for the easiest way to get more out of it. And don't forget to download the Priceline app for even more savings. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode number 53 of the That's So Mets podcast. I'm your host, Connor Rogers. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Joe DeMeo, and a lot going on, as always, in the Mets world. They do not sign their first-round pick, Kumar Rocker. The deadline has passed. Speaking of deadlines, the trade deadline, we'll do the final recap here. If you subscribe to the YouTube, you probably saw the very quick reaction to the Mets acquiring Javi Baez and sending... Pete Crow Armstrong out the door. So they are down a big time prospect, but bringing a big time bat in Javi Baez. And as always, we will get to the mailbag. A lot of questions on the future of this team and a lot to talk about right now with what's going on with this team, kind of holding on by a thread to their first place spot in the division. It's been a long, long, comfortable uh, ride for the Mets sitting atop there right now, but the Phillies and, you know, of course the Braves are still kind of hanging around as well. Uh, the Mets a little bit of a skid right now. So a lot going on in the Mets world. We're going to break it all down. Joe episode 53. Let's bring you in. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. It's never, never a boring time for the Mets. So it's a, it's always something, whether it's an eventful weekend at the stadium of games or what they trade or hell not signing their first round pick. <laughs> Oof, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I was there Sunday and it was not eventful. It felt like the Mets were a little bit lifeless. And that hasn't been the case with this team uh, for much of this season. They've been a team that has been able to rally despite their offensive struggles. They seem to find uh, timely hits when they need them. They've really, you know, had success off the backs of their starting staff and the bullpen. The starting staff, obviously, a lot of different injuries and and some guys um, struggling right now, including Taiwan Walker. So, just a lot going on with this team. We're going to break down the entire Kumar Rocker situation, uh, the the now and the future outlook of it. But as always, starting with the episode 53, the most memorable 53, at least in my eyes, in my time is Chad Bradford um, was only with the Mets during that 2006 season, but he was tremendous. And another reason is Chad Bradford, a notable name uh, from the great movie and overall story of Moneyball. One random Bobby Abreu, 40 years old when he wore the Mets number 53. What a strange time that was. I think they actually brought him back twice that year. Um, Not the most successful return. He was 40 years old. And one current, Jeremy Hefner, wears 53 right now. He also wore 53 when he pitched for the Mets. So uh, quite the look back at this not-so-historic number in Mets history. And a fun fact about Chad Bradford prior to being with the Mets, he obviously was a submariner. If you don't remember Chad Bradford, he somehow throws a baseball borderline underhand. I don't know how submariners actually function, but they do. One time he got so low when he was at Oakland, he hit his knuckle on the rubber and broke the knuckle in his hand. That's absurd. 
Yeah, that's how low he got. So literally he hit the ground with his knuckle and just broke it. <laughs> and it shows the torque that yeah. he, I mean, to break the knuckle uh, in that motion. So yeah, Chad Bradford, um, what a career, a 12 year career for a guy that was obviously, if, if you've seen Moneyball, but even if you haven't, was much of an afterthought, a 13th round pick in 1996. And he really, uh, he really figured it out, especially in Oakland. And then he had one year with Boston. And then, of course, the great 2006 season for the Mets with a 2-9 ERA in, in 70 games he pitched in for the Mets that year. So Chad Bradford, we're kind of in a weird time of Mets history with these numbers here. I swear they'll start to get more exciting again uh, at some point. But right now, number 53. But in more, maybe not exciting, but definitely relevant news. Obviously, the deadline has passed. The Mets do not sign their first round pick, Kumar Rocker. There has been a lot of different takes on this, and I think my personal opinion is it's a lot of blind swings right now because most likely if you have a take about this, there's a good chance you do not know the medical info. Uh, I guess it's up to you if you believe Scott Boris that everything is fine or if you believe the Mets that clearly think everything is definitely not fine. And, and Joe, looking at this, you know, I'm really excited to hear your perspective about it. Something you and I have talked about off the air, um, through text, on phone calls about a lot over this last week. But I think the main takeaway for me is covering the NFL draft year round. The, what's so jarring now that I'm diving into the MLB draft world is that there are no pre-draft required medicals. And, and I just think the conversations I've had um, with guys in the NFL and the influence that medicals have on where guys go in the draft is so, so vital and truly mind-blowing the way things can change once you your team doctors get an inside look that, you know, I, I over the last 10, especially 10 years, have had times where I hate things that the Mets do or I understand why they get the LOL Mets reputation, which I, I've now grown to really resent because uh, of the Wilpon era. I, and I always said towards the end of that era, that I root for the players that wear the Mets uniform and I root for the Mets as a franchise. But it was very hard for me to root for the success that was tied to that ownership group, which is why I've, I've enjoyed being a fan more than ever with Steve Cohen owning the team. This, to me, is not a LOL Mets situation. This is a don't hate the Mets here, hate the process. And, and what I mean by that is hate the process that in the MLB draft, there are not these required pre-draft medicals that you are, quite frankly, very often taking blind swings. And when you look at the volatility of MLB draft picks, especially in the first round where you think there would be a lot of success, a lot of times guys obviously do fail uh, due to what happens to them in the future. And as we're living in this era where, you know, it's not perfect, but you can predict a lot more things, you can predict you know, when significant injuries uh, could happen in terms of broad timelines. Maybe it's a year, two, three years away, but you can see things in these MRIs that you couldn't see before. I just, it's an unfortunate situation. I feel really bad for Kumar Rocker. I feel, you know, it, it stinks as a Mets fan. This was, everybody knows how excited you and I are, uh, were about this selection. There is no, no joke here. There's no, you know, winner or loser in this situation. And I think it just shows a giant, giant hole in the process that the Mets do not control. I totally agree with everything you just said. And 
you know, we're just going to just talking about this kind of whole process. It's just like you said, very unfortunate for Kumar Rocker. I feel terrible for him. I mean, he was on the verge of getting five to six million dollars and now nothing and no guarantees of what's going to come next year. So I feel terrible for Kumar. He didn't do anything wrong. Um, we interviewed him for Mets perspective. He seemed like a fantastic kid. Um, so obviously, I hope that Kumar has a healthy year in the coming year and you know reestablishes himself in the 2022 draft and is able to still go high and still get his money. Because um, certainly, I want to see players get paid as much as as much as they can make. Um, but what I would say is, I think people are trying to take a side here. Like you have to be on Boris slash Rocker side, or you have to be on the Mets side. And I don't think anyone was wrong here. I think everything was, you know, done the way it should be. I mean, the Kumar Rocker fell to the Mets at number 10. As not, he did not fall to number 10 because teams knew there was something wrong with him. Because like you said, pre, pre-draft medicals are optional in the MLB draft. And first and second round picks don't do it. You know why? Because there's no positive that can come from it. If you look at any pitcher's MRI, college, whatever, if you really want to poke holes in something, you'll be able to. So pitching's not natural. It, you know, beats down the arm over time. And yeah, it's just, it's a really unfortunate thing. But what happened ultimately is Rocker fell. The Mets did the right thing in drafting Kumar Rocker. They had a verbal agreement of sorts for you know, reportedly $6 million. I don't know if that number's exactly right, but in that vicinity, around $6 million. And he came to New York for a physical, got the physical. They did not like what was on the MRI. Um, and I know there's a lot of fan, and, you know, like you said, I have no idea what was on the MRI. Um, the only people that do are the Mets <laughs> and I guess Kumar and, and Scott Boris, but they decided that you know whatever was on the MRI was not worth going through with the deal and of course having the ability to get the 11th pick in next year draft um, maybe played played a factor into it but if it, if you think that the uh, Mets care about Tommy John surgery then you don't follow the Mets um, They drafted JT Ginn last year in the second round. He got Tommy John um, two months before the draft, and they drafted him and signed him for $2.9 million anyway. Gave the guy almost $3 million, and he had Tommy John. Uh, I know that one of the names that they liked pre-draft, I'm not saying they would have taken him if they didn't take Rocker, but one of the guys they liked was Gunnar Hoagland out of Ole Miss. Gunnar Hoagland had Tommy John surgery in May. So if you think the Mets didn't sign Kumar Rocker because he needed Tommy John surgery eventually, you simply don't know what you're talking about. Um, so obviously it's something bigger. I don't know what it is. I hope the best for uh, Kumar, obviously. And, you know, we're all disappointed. I was excited. I mean, I went on video on SNY on the television saying how they got a steal in Kumar Rocker. Um and it just didn't it just didn't work out and you know the the mets are certainly disappointed too you know they drafted a kid that they thought was a steal and 
they were excited to add him to the organization, a player of this caliber. And it didn't work out. It's a it, it's a medical disagreement that we may never know what the Mets saw. You know, there's HIPAA and all that stuff. So we don't we may never know what the Mets saw. But ultimately, it was a medical disagreement. And it's not the first time this has happened. It won't be the last time probably that it happens. And the Mets had to do what was right for the Mets. And sometimes what's right for an organization isn't going to be a popular move. And the, uh, you know, they're, they're getting some negative PR out of it. And, you know, that, that comes with the territory. Um, but we'll, we'll see kind of how they handle it next year, where they'll have the 11th pick, their own first round pick, um, the rest of their draft hall, and, you know, maybe a compensatory pick or two if a qualifying offer goes out to a Michael Conforto or a Noah Syndergaard or someone like that, and it gets, you know, denied and then they sign elsewhere. So, they have a chance to have a massive draft haul next year. Um, I know a lot of people don't care. <laughs> they just want right now's pick to enter the organization. But by all accounts, you know, it's still early, of course. Uh, but the expectation is that next year's class is significantly stronger than this year's class that just ended. So, um, yeah, we're going to see how how it unfolds. But obviously, just an unfortunate situation for everybody. And you know, like you said, there's no jokes. There's no LOL Mets. There's no LOL Kumar Rocker or whatever. It's just an unfortunate medical disagreement that, you know, the Mets have the right to do. And, you know, that's kind of where it stands. And time will tell. You know, we'll see where this goes. If if Rocker has a long career, and we hope he does, or if the Mets, you know, ultimately made the right call. And, and like you said, Joe, Sure, it's a PR hit now, but this Mets regime under Steve Cohen, you would think, cares more about being right than being laughed at. Where areas with the Wilpons, I always felt like it was the opposite. I felt like they did things at times for the sake of PR moves, where in this situation, and my take is the Mets probably did everything they could uh, to double check this. It's not like they had one. I, I would be shocked if they just had one medical report come back on Rocker and they threw their hands up and said, all right, that's a wrap. We can't sign them. The Mets, I, I don't understand the people that think the Mets didn't want this to work out. Like you can see post-draft or in the moment how excited they were as an organization about this addition. And the fact that it got to the point where they couldn't negotiate tells you that or you can make the assumption, like you said at the top of the show, Joe, this is something bigger than Tommy John, whatever it may be. And you have to make an organizational decision at that point to it almost was made for them in this era where they get the pick back next year. Right. Like if it's like you just lose the pick. Well, then you're going to just come to an agreement with Rocker and, you know, you're going to see how that medical information holds up in the next couple of years. But the fact that you get the pick back, if the medical was as bad as it sounds like, considering they just were out on the negotiation, then this the decision is made for you. It's logic. It's logic. It stinks in the moment. Um, it probably doesn't feel good. I'm sure, you know, everybody's down and out about that. But for the long term, you know, can you suck it up and deal with this moment 
right now. And then maybe in four years, you go, oh, well, that draft the Mets had in 2022 where they got the pick back and they got, you know, a star and their medical information, unfortunately, ends up being right about Rocker. Wow, maybe maybe we shouldn't have said LOL Mets. Maybe we should have, you know, said, oh, yeah, it just feels like and Scott Boris is doing his job. I didn't. I'm not going to sit here and just kill Scott Boris. He's, you know, he's looking out for his client and he's looking out for his best interests. And and maybe deep down, Scott really does believe the medical info they have. But all I can say is if you think the Mets didn't want this to work out, you're not paying attention. This is not the Mets of the Wilpon era. This is the Mets that they want to be the East Coast Dodgers. They want to win World Series plural they want to win multiple championships they need to restock this farm system with upper level pitching and they need it pretty soon honestly they don't have a lot of it that's healthy right now so you know we'll put this in the rear view we're, we're not going to be the kind of show that just constantly looks back and go oh the kumar rockers there's just no reason to do that this is the draft there's a lot it's not easy uh to draft in any league and this is just one of those times where, you know, it just didn't work out on either side and and only time will really tell. And if you want to fix the Major League Baseball draft, I have it pretty simple for you. In the next CBA, allow pick trading, make players declare for the draft, much like the NFL, NBA, make pre-draft medicals mandatory, not optional, and do hard slotting at every pick. So there's no more of this draft so-and-so number one because he'll sign for a million dollars less than a different guy and then I could take that million dollars and give it to somebody else you want to fix this whole system it's that easy in my opinion you make people declare you have to do a pre-draft medical and hard slotting so you're going to get drafted based purely on talent signability is not a factor that's the way I look at it. And then, of course, allowing pick trading will make it more interesting. So now the Mets, you know, they have 11 and, you know, whatever their f- other first round pick ends up being. If there's a player they really li- like in the top five, then you offer, you know, your two first round picks and move up into the top five and get, you know, that stud prospect or whatever. So that's my two cents going forward. That's how you're going to fix this. Because um, as long as you have pre draft medicals as optional, this situation's going to happen every few years. I mean, it's happened to Carter Stewart in 2018, I believe. Uh, Brady Aiken, obviously, is most notable because he was the number one overall pick, and they did this. Imagine the Mets had the number one overall pick, and this and this move happened. It'd be a, it'd be a, a lot more outrage. So to me, that's how you fix the draft going forward. And like I like you said. We're going to put this in the rear view mirror. You know, we'll, uh, I'm sure we have a question or two about Rocker, you know, that we'll have to touch on this episode. But after this, we're moving on. You know, it's it's over. It's done with, unfortunate. But you got to move on. And as for the medical info, just to show, you know, this is obviously a very archaic system by MLB. And I agree with all your points of how to fix the draft. You know, when everybody sits there on draft night for the NFL, and if you're a fan this a little pull the pull back the curtain and you're sitting there and going, wow, why is so-and-so falling to day two? Or why did he fall to day three? More often than not, it's medical information that you as a fan do not get to see. I've had guys tell me that draft for teams that not only just the medical info was bad. If it's unclear, 
more often than not, they'll just take a guy off the board. And, or maybe they'll they'll stash him for round six or seven. Like, that's how vital medical info is. And MLB, in baseball personnel rooms, they're drafting blind at that point. It would change the entire dynamic of drafts if you had medical information. And, and quite frankly, and I don't, I don't know this, but if if teams did see whatever the Mets saw with Rocker pre-draft, there's just a good chance he wouldn't have been a first-round pick. That That's the kind of significant ramifications these things can have. So I'm with you all the way. Um, it's It's got to be discussed. And I want to sneak in a question here before we get to a little trade deadline final recap and then the rest of the mailbag, because this one has to do with this exact topic. It's from Josh Lavaman. He says, how does the new CBA impact the compensatory pick the Mets are supposed to get for not signing Rocker? Is there any risk they lose that pick or the associated slot money in these upcoming CBA negotiations? I don't believe so. I think they will. So even if they make a CBA change, I don't think they would retroactively take the Mets pick away. Almost positive the case is they will pick 11th next year. And if they make a change in the next CBA that says, you don't get a compensatory pick anymore if you don't sign your draft pick, then that would be effective the 2023 Major League Baseball draft. Yeah, I think so, too. That would be you almost you typically don't see that happen because it's just not fair to the teams that operate that way. Um, It's you know, it's it's way too big of a surprise now. okay, all right, moving on to the now. The trade deadline, this has to do with the big league club. Like I said, we did a quick recap. Joe was at City Field, um, you know, when the Mets made the trade for Javi Baez. A lot has gone on since then. It, looking, you know, obviously Jacob DeGrom, we, we are not even sure if he's going to pitch again this season. He said, uh, as we sit here and record this today, that he, he's confident he will. But there's still a lot of a lot of problems going on with him, whether it's inflammation, it's it could be elbow related. Um, you know, we had the forearm tightness before this. I think we're up to... You know, six different kind of injuries now with Degrom this year. Joe, do you? Th- I know fans are almost outraged at the Mets trade deadline for the lack of pitching they acquired, and it's it's kind of clear that they they seem to know this with Degrom a couple hours before the deadline. Do you think? And I have a take on this, but do you think that they their trade deadline was was technically a failure from that standpoint? No, I mean I don't either. <laughs> yeah, I. I understand what people are saying, but I thought Zach Scott, which I want to give him some credit, he's been pretty straightforward, even in public things like on WFAN and things like that. He's been pretty straight up. Like he said for two weeks and no one wanted to believe him that they were targeting depth at starting pitching. That's exactly what they acquired in Trevor Williams. And to me, you're not replacing Jacob DeGrom. Unless you get, even if you get Jose Barrios, you're not replacing Jacob Degrom. So there was who who did who got traded that the Mets should have gotten instead. I don't know. Like they weren't going to get Barrios. They could not match that offer of Austin Martin, who was the number five pick in last year's draft. He was number one, I believe, on my big board last year. So I thought he was the best player in last year's draft top 15 prospect in baseball, and then old friend Simeon Woods Richardson. The Mets could have offered Francisco Alvarez and a signed Kumar Rocker, and that would not have beaten the offer that the Blue Jays gave. So it's just they couldn't touch that, so that guy was out of play. Uh, Max Scherzer 
wouldn't come here, no trade clause, yada, yada. So like that wasn't going to happen. Like, are, are we are we outraged they missed out on Kyle Gibson and Andrew Heaney? Like, to me, yeah, sure, they could have gotten another depth arm. Um, if you wanted a little complaint from me, I think they should have grabbed the bullpen guy. Um, just just a middle reliever even, like a Joaquim Soria, someone like that. Like, they should have done that. But to call it a failure, and, I'm, and another thing is, like, I'm not – overreaction big or or you know big or small or positive or negative basically almost ever like everyone feels like you need to say they did great or they were horrible no in between right yeah there's plenty of in between they did okay is javi baez my cup of tea as a baseball player no he's not i don't like guys that don't walk and strike out a million times but that's me personally i understand the excitement he brings to the table um i understand the power the defensive prowess that he brings, um, just an electric ball player. There's no question about it. It's not my favorite type of player, but I understand why they wanted him. And the reality is that their farm system, I've said it on this show. I've said it on Mets Perspective. I've written about it on SNY.TV. So I have no qualms saying it. I'll say it to anyone. The Mets farm system is so top heavy. The top talent can stack up with most farm systems in baseball. But there's a drastic fall off. The reality is you can't make these teams want your prospects. If they don't want them, you know, the Mets could not get Javi Baez for less than Pete Crow Armstrong. So your option was give up Pete Crow Armstrong or get nothing. Or, you know, at least as far as an impactful player goes, because Baez was their option to get an impactful player. So would you kill them if they did nothing? Yes. Would you kill them that they didn't do enough? You know, that's certainly a matter of opinion. Um, they could have, like I said, grabbed a back-end starter or a reliever, fine. But you're not replacing Jacob deGrom. So the deGrom news to me doesn't really impact my opinion of the trade deadline because it's just like, look, without deGrom, are they going to win a World Series? No. Maybe, probably not. Um but maybe DeGrom does come back. And in that case, then you're obviously in a good spot. But there wasn't a lot of quality pitching that was moved at this trade deadline. I mean, a guy like John Gray, who I very much wanted, they kept. And they're supposedly going to give him a qualifying offer and whatever. But like, I, I don't I don't get it. For me, there, there was no reason to freak out and call it a failure. It's just... You know, everyone has to have an overreaction one way or another, I guess. Yeah, I think that's how I looked at it as well. I was quite content with the trade deadline. I'm with you. I thought maybe a bullpen arm, but not the end of the world. Um, I also think that I came into the season not expecting to win the World Series. And if that makes me, you know, gives me a loser approach as a fan, then then you can think that I just I think the Mets have taken some really nice steps this year. And I think that as we record this show, it might not be optimal timing because they're they're playing some of their most disappointing baseball of the season, but that's baseball. It's a long season, and I hope they, they can close it out and win this division. Um, quite frankly, in a year where I did not pick them to win the division, I thought the Braves, and I, I can't predict what happened to Ozuna and Acuna and um, you know their pitching staff as a whole, and not using it as an excuse, but just saying, I, I think I thought the Mets were 
you know, going to start to build something special with Steve Cohen in a, a three year window, not a one year window. So I just wasn't one of those fans wanting to clear out the farm system for the very limited assets that were on the trade market that for the most part were rentals. And I like Javi Baez. Uh, he's been one of my favorite players in baseball for a while. I think he's exciting. I think that this trade is not strictly a rental and, and it could be, but I think the Mets with Lindor's influence are going to seriously consider trying to keep him here long term. And and I don't think it'll be a, another $300 million deal, nothing like that. I'm just saying that it, it's it's not just strictly a rental. There is a potential here um, that that's the middle of their infield going forward. And we'll, there's a lot of time left to see how that plays out. So, you know, it's it's hard to completely feel one way or the other about sending Pete Crow Armstrong out the door um, for a player like Javi Baez. And, and like you said, Joe, I think that, you know, you're not going to replace Jacob deGrom. Quite frankly, you're not going to replace 70% of Jacob deGrom. You're just not going to do that. You're going to have to, one, rely on this offense to, to pick up the team for once and carry them while their Jacob deGrom is out and Francisco Lindor is out. And you're just simply going to need Taiwan Walker to revert back to being the all-star version of himself. And you're going to need to expect Carlos Carrasco to get back to being Cookie Carrasco that we know and love. And, you know, Noah Syndergaard, I'm not going to put a lot of chips on that because I, I think that's not fair at what's gone on this year. But hopefully he does come back and make some kind of impact in September. But I just think that I look at this. You know, and maybe I'm broken because I've spent most of my career um, covering rebuilding teams for the draft, whether it was it was the Browns when I started and then the Dolphins and then the Jets in Jacksonville. I think I have a little bit more patience in terms of, how, you know, the process and all of that. I just think that, you know, the Mets, I, I think getting Javi gives a jolt and a signal to the clubhouse. And I, I think that's really important. And I think at the same time, you didn't need to go get you know, every big name and say, hey, like, you're not the Dodgers this year right now. I'm just being realistic. And I'm not saying there's no chance I'm going to root for the Mets. And I hope the Mets win the division. And I still think they do. And I still think they anything can happen once you're in the playoffs with the three man rotation. I just think the timeline with this team is different than other teams. And it, it you know, people might have got a little bit of a mirage because of how the first, what, 70% of the season has gone. And what people need to realize, and I know people won't like me saying this, the Mets should be in last place. I mean, they're get, they're going on borderline using 60 players this season. They're going to probably it's unheard set... unheard of. They're going to probably set the major league record for players used in a season. They have field more than two full rosters worth of players. That's how many players the Mets have used this year. They should not be in first place, and they've been in first place for over two consecutive months. Are the Mets a World Series contender? I think you and I agree where, where they stand today. If DeGrom comes back in September and everything's hunky-dory, then the conversation reopens. Without him, probably not. But this is, this is a team that has a chance to win the division, make the playoffs, at bare minimum, be competitive through September. And I know everyone makes jokes about how the Wilpons used to always say, you know, meaningful games in September. But in a sense, that almost never happened to us as Mets fans. How many years would they go be so terrible that 
if we had this podcast for most of those years, we'd be talking about the off-season moves right now. The season would already be over. They would have sold at the trade deadline, and we'd be talking about next year already. We're talking about this year. There's 57 games left as we record. There'll be 56 if you're listening to this you know, on uh, Wednesday. But there's 57 games left in the season. The off-season is a long thing. I mean, November through January, it's only a couple months, but those couple months feel very long. And, you know, as fans, I see it on Twitter. Everyone's just like, man, I can't wait until baseball's back. I just want to watch baseball. Like, try to enjoy these last 57 games. Like, I understand being frustrated. They're not playing great right now. That's uh, painfully obvious. Should they be pulling away from the Braves, the Phillies? Yeah, sure. But they're not. That's just the way it is right now. Can they turn it around starting tonight? Sure, that could also happen. So just try to enjoy these 57 games because, look, this baseball season's going to be gone before you know it, whether they make the playoffs or not. Just try to enjoy the stretch run. They're going to be playing competitive baseball through the end of the year. Like, I sincerely doubt that we're going to be looking at this team and saying, you know, they're they're out of it come mid-September. Like, I don't think it's at that point. So, you know, that's me just trying to be a little positive and just like, just enjoy it. Like everyone's always upset and, you know, I get it, but this is a team that has outperformed what they should have, despite the star players on their team, most of them not performing to their capabilities. So that's a credit to Luis Rojas. That's a credit to the coaching staff. That's a credit to these players for grinding. And, you know, every game that they go down early, in my head, I'm like, oh, the Mets lost this one. And how many times have they had great comebacks this year to come back and win from multiple runs down? It's happened a ton. So to me, this is a this was a fun Mets team to root for this year. And the season isn't over. Um, they're still in first place. And I think everyone, and save me the division sucks stuff. I don't want to hear it. Like, they're in first place. End of story. You play the division that you play. And they've been in first place for over two months. Some some people will just never be happy. Um, you know, they're, they could play better. That's obvious. And hopefully they do soon here. But they're a competitive team. How many years of your fanhood, if you're listening to this, have you been done with baseball by July and waiting for football training camp to start because you need something else to take your mind off of this dumpster fire of a team. And they're not that now. They're not playing great, but they're a competitor. Enjoy it. Yeah, that's that's kind of my soapbox. I like it. I mean, listen, well said. I'm with you. I think I needed that reminder because I've been so frustrated with how they played uh, lately that it's you, you almost forget that they are in first place and you almost forget how quickly the pendulum can swing the other way in baseball. You feel like you lose a couple and you think it's the end of the world. And then you can go on an eight game winning streak in the blink of an eye, especially when your regulars get hot or, or any the pitching reverts back to what we saw. Um, so it's, yeah, I think that's well said. I think it's time for the mailbag. Get on team shack with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. 
Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. No matter how the last game went, anytime you take the field, you've got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Start hiring right now with $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. And Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and condition apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now you can get McDonald's crispy chicken sandwich. McDonald's spicy crispy chicken sandwich. And or filet of fish. Any two for just six bucks. Sounds really good, doesn't it? Ba da ba ba ba. Prices and participation may vary. A single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. We have a, it's funny, we said, we we're like, hey, at least we're not talking about the offseason. But the first question I put in the mailbag is from the, is about the offseason, and it's a good one. This is from Johnny. He says, do you think resigning both Stroman and Syndergaard in the offseason is a realistic possibility? Maybe Syndergaard will take a shorter term prove it type deal and we can lock up Stroman for three to four years. So we've talked about a little bit with Syndergaard, maybe the qualifying offer, maybe he takes it. And if they, if he doesn't, they get a, a pick after the second round, I believe, which would be, you know, still obviously good. And then with Stroman, man, it, it'd be tough for me for them to let Stroman leave if his term is only going to be three years on the contract. I think I would like to see them get that one done. So I think if you see them both back, it would be if Syndergaard takes the qualifying offer and then Stroman gets locked up long term. Do I think it's likely? No. Do I think it's a realistic possibility? Yes, that kind of exists. What do you think, Joe? I do think it's a realistic possibility, and I think you kind of summarize, you know, Syndergaard on a shorter-term deal, whether that's the qualifying offer itself or, you know, just a, a lesser deal. Think of, like, Corey Kluber with the Yankees, who ended up signing, I think, one-year $11 million and with some incentives. So, they may not even qualify. They might not even give Noah a qualifying offer. You know, they could pass on that, and because then you're committing to 20 million guaranteed or whatever the number is going to be. They might just pass on that and try to get him for a lesser uh, figure there. And then Stroman, of course, has been fantastic. He fits this clubhouse great. He fits the city great. His energy is off the chain. Um, and I'm just going to say this: I think the Mets are going to have the highest payroll in baseball in 2022. I agree. So the Mets this offseason, you know, the Met everyone ripped the Mets for staying under a luxury tax. I don't really have I don't have, you know, inside scoop here, but I feel it deep in my gut that you're going to see the Mets go 
pretty nuts this offseason. I won't be surprised. Like, we've been talking for months now about pick this guy or that guy, pick this guy or that guy. I think the why not both gif that with the little girl that, <laughs> that everyone posts all the time, like, I think that's reality. I think the Mets are playing to go really big this offseason, whether that's um, just paying all of their own guys or a mix of you know their own and outside free agents. But yeah, in my opinion, it is realistic, and I expect the Mets to spend really big. I'm with you. I think they they if they want somebody to come back, they'll get it done. That that's really how I feel with this Mets regime, which is such a good feeling when you think of the years, whether it's Reyes, whether it's Wheeler. You know, you think of those kind of years and you're just you just kind of groan because you feel it coming for months, maybe even for a year. Sometimes you feel it coming and it finally feels different. And I almost kind of trust, I think, what they're what they'll do either way. And I do I do kind of feel strongly like you do that Marcus Stroman should be back here. I think that I think Marcus Stroman likes it here. And I think the Mets obviously like having him on the mound. Um, every single week. And I think that, you know, the other thing for me is, Joe, like in terms of what pitchers usually get on the market, I actually think Stroman, compared to his productivity over the last couple of years, I don't think his contract's going to be that crazy, honestly. For a, a five foot seven guy, I just think, t- I think baseball is, like I said earlier, too archaic, where I don't know if a team will come out and just give him some godfather offer that scares away the Mets. I, I just that would shock me at this point, honestly. Yeah, I think I feel the same. I mean, it, it throws uh, Stroh is also a guy that is very outspoken. And, uh, you know, some teams might not be down with that. I am. You know, I think Stroh handles himself great. Out, You know, I, he blocks a lot of people and, you know, that's his own prerogative. It's his social media could do what he wants. But um, I like how outspoken he is. Uh and then, you know, I really like the kind of teammate that he is. Like, he hypes up everybody on the team. Um, he's, he's to me, like the perfect kind of guy. I, I Works might hard. Be, yeah. He he focuses on his body, his craft. Like, all that's, it's all very important to him. So, to me, locking up Stroman is a no-brainer move for the Mets. Absolutely. I think Syndergaard's the more uh, curious one, if you will. Because Syndergaard, he's an interesting guy. And I... I I would imagine he'll lean on his agents as well. But he, he's somebody that it can go a lot of ways, right? I mean, he's going to be a 29-year-old free agent. So he has to ask himself, do I take the biggest offer out there, which who knows what that'll be, or do I take the qualifying offer, if it exists, and try to have a big-time year and then hit the market as a 30-year-old pitcher, which is... Not a bad place to be if you're coming off a big year, especially a guy like Syndergaard that has a reputation around the league that I think a lot of staffs would love to work with him. So that's the more curious one to me where I may, and maybe I'm dead wrong on this. I just I don't worry as much about Stroman. I think what Syndergaard, I worry about the what if the green what if he unlocks a new level somewhere else? That That's always my worry with Syndergaard after also having him you know, not pitch for the team for the last two years. So, all right. The next one, and that that's a topic that we're just going to hammer into the ground uh, when, when you know, the regular season or the playoffs or whatever it is is over Stroman and Syndergaard and, and how to handle that. The next one's from Pat Chamberlain. 
He said, if you had a, this is a great question for you, Joe. If you had a crystal ball and knew we wouldn't have been able to sign Rocker, who would you have drafted instead? High school third baseman Brady House. I had him number five Nationals? on my. Nationals took him at number 11 right after us. Um, I had him number five on my board, and I had Kumar Rocker number six. So technically, I thought the Mets got a steal, but they didn't draft the best player available, uh, for me at least. Uh, Brady House is a guy that I think he's ultimately going to be a third baseman long term, which, of course, the Mets have a few of those. But this is a, a guy that I know some scouts that have said he has a chance to be like a Matt Chapman type of player at third base. Um, so super high upside. Best raw power in the class from a high school bat. Um, Nationals, I think, got an awesome pick at 11 with Brady House. So if I knew there was something up with Kumar Rocker, um, I would have drafted Brady House. Yeah, I remember you saying that to me on draft night. We were kind of laughing. I was so excited. This is classic Joe, by the way. I was so excited about the Rocker pick, and he was too. But he's like, you know what? Ironically, it actually was not BPA for me. And you were talking about house. So I had a feeling that would be the the no brainer answer to that question. All right. This next one is from Boris is the devil. Is it me or does it seem like fans and the media almost want it to be same old Mets uh, doing things like saying the last week last week was Will Pond like. Oh, so, yeah, the top of the show or the rocker segment, I, I kind of touched on this. Uh, I don't know if it's as much media anymore because they are so they know what's happening here with Steve Cohen. And I think media that I, although I will say, you know, as much as I don't really have any like baseball insiders or personalities that I, I don't like. I'm pretty neutral on all of them or, or like them. Uh, Buster only had some interesting takes that I did not agree with regarding the rocker situation and the draft. But I think fans, yes, to answer this question. I think fans, you know, like I said, they do the LOL Mets or they they say it's the Will Ponds all. I'm telling you, like as much as I, I love Mets Twitter and especially when the Mets are winning and you could do this with any team uh, fan base, man, it's hard to keep people satisfied. It really is. I, I just... I don't know. I look at this situation and I go back to it and I'm like, this is it goes back to what I said. Do not hate the Mets, hate the process. I just think that and maybe they're wrong with the medical info they got, but I just I don't know. This isn't a Mets issue here. It didn't work out in the favor of the Mets. It went the exact opposite. But this is one of those times where if people are saying, oh, my God, same old Mets. This was just bad luck. This was not laugh out loud at how this team operates. So I love our listeners and our fans. I think they're all awesome. Met one at City Field, had very nice things to say about us. So uh, really glad to have met someone. So that was really cool to actually do that. But I think a big portion of this fan base, especially on Twitter, they love to hate their team. They're very self-hating yes. <laughs> for some reason. Every lineup. Um, every lineup they hate. And it's almost as if, a lot of fans want to have a negative perspective and be able to say, I told you so. And um, we need to get out of that habit, I think, as fans. Like I said, I am I bet a lot of fans who listen to this are not those fans because we don't paint that picture. So I can't imagine they would uh, listen to us all the time if, if that's you know their mindset. But people, you know, we're Mets fans, you know, lo- love the team you root for. 
be frustrated when things aren't going right. I'll never tell anyone how to root, but yeah, it's definitely a, a lot of self-hate from the fans. Um, media, like you said, I don't think it's it's so much there. They're for the most part pretty pretty uh, even keel across the board, and you know I didn't see anyone talking about you know Will Pond like or whatever, but yeah. You know, some people will never be pleased and some people are very self-hating and, you know, that that's kind of the deal. Right. That's that's exactly how I feel as well with it. I think that and, and to be fair, you know, I think the Mets haven't won a World Series in a long time and it kind of goes as until you do or even just be competitive, which the Mets are this year. The Mets traditionally over the last, you know, what, decade and a half, decade have traditionally not been very competitive, honestly. Even 2015 was a lot of magic, and it was an amazing year. But when you look at what it's sandwiched in between, it's a lot of bad. And it's bad. It's predictably bad, right? Like, th- there was a lot of years during those Mets tenures where you you knew the team was going to be bad. They were not, you know, spending a lot of money they were not supplementing the roster with players in a, in a market that they should have. And I think that has exhausted a lot of fans. And, and I think that it's a big task Steve Cohen is taking on. I, I do think he's equipped for it, but I think it's going to take some time to get that stain off for fans to move past that, that same old disappointment. All right, this is from Brent. Is it true that next year's draft class... I love how we word this question. Is it true? Is it true that next year's draft class is better than this year's? If so, do you feel like the Mets will end up benefiting from this whole rocker ordeal by having two first-round picks plus any compensation picks? So the only thing I could add to this before you go ahead, Joe, is I remember when we had Jim Callis on to preview the draft. He was not really that jacked up about this last draft class at all. And I'm not saying that necessarily played into or was the be all end all in this situation, but it is something that has it's played back in my head a few times when looking ahead to next year. Yeah. Is it true? Uh, Let's check back next year. Um, Right. There's a lot of time left. There's a lot of time. uh, Like we just found out today that based on some like age requirement, the guy that was a kid that was supposed to be the number three prospect in 2023 is now able to classify himself in the 2022 draft. So that's like another high profile player that was able to enter. Um, But initial feelings from the community is next year is a little stronger than this year's. Uh, So will they end up benefiting? I hope so. Um, I mean, our, the Mets scouting department, in my opinion, is very underrated. One of the better scouting departments in baseball. I mean, just just go ahead and Google the Mets first round picks. It's on Wikipedia, all that stuff. Pretty much everyone dating back to 2011 is a major leaguer. And I know everyone's just looking for all-stars and impact players, and they have those too. I mean, look up and down this roster. Most of it is homegrown guys that they developed. So to me, I trust the scouting department to do the do the right thing with this extra draft capital. And, you know, we'll we'll see how the draft class really shakes out as we get closer to next July, assuming they keep it during All-Star Week. Uh, All-Star week. But on paper, people believe that next year's class is stronger than this year's, at least as of now. 
All right, this next one from Matt Campion. He says, let's say the Mets were out of the playoff race. What assets would have been on the trade market? Who would have been deemed part of the core? What route would both of you take? This is a really interesting question because I think it still is relevant towards the offseason. I think the Mets are going to do at least one thing this offseason with the current roster that we don't necessarily expect. I don't know if that's trading a Jeff McNeil or Dom Smith or um, moving on completely from Michael Conforto, which if you said that, I know people will be like, oh, well, no, duh, right now. But if you said that four months ago, people would think you're insane. I, You know, for me, I think that, you know, obviously Pete's going to be here. I, that's one. I think they really love Nimmo, and I would have said that before he's had such a great return from the IL. I think that he just fits what they want at the top of the lineup in terms of working counts, getting on base constantly. Uh, he's been a little better in center field this year, which I think has a direct correlation with the positioning due to the analytics side of things. So they're probably happy that they can squeeze a little bit more out of Nimmo and center field than what we're used to seeing. So I'll say Nimmo and Pete out of the gate. I think they they really, really like Dom. I don't see Dom going anywhere. I laughed when the rumor was they the twins asked for Dom and I think Mauricio for Barrios. That was just a complete joke. Uh, Dom has done such a good job hitting lefties this year, something that you know really no one in the lineup is doing. So I think if you're just looking, the easy answer here is J.D. Davis probably would have been for sale, even though he's under team control. It just feels like the Mets are throwing J.D.'s name out there every single year. And then, of course, you look at they have a lot of something we don't talk about a ton. This team quietly has a lot of pending free agents set to hit the market this upcoming offseason. So I the worst thing to me is when a seller kind of half asses it and doesn't do it or don't. Do it or don't. And I am a do it guy. So if the Mets were out of it, Stroman would be gone. Conforto would be gone. Aaron Loop would be gone. Every pending free agent that someone wanted would be gone. Um, I would I would listen on someone like J.D. Davis who has some control. Uh, basically, you know, to your point, who do you consider part of the core? Um, is Nimmo part of that core? If you don't think he is, he has one year left. I would have listened on him too. If you don't think Jeff McNeil's part of this core, listen on him. So basically, every rental would be gone that someone wanted, and whoever you deem not part of the core would uh, would follow suit. To me, Dom would be someone I'd keep. Um, I would keep McNeil. Uh, I would have listened on Nimmo, to be honest. I, I, I love him. He is. I am a Nimmo guy. He's my kind of player. But at some point in time, this guy needs to find a way to stay on the field. He's super impactful when he is, but it feels like he just has a... Th- Injury here, injury there. It feels like it's just adding up, and uh, you wonder his long-term sustainability as far as staying healthy is. But, yeah, to me, I would have gone all in, and the Mets farm system would look so much better because uh, it was clearly a seller's market based on the return for some players that happened you know, over the last few days. Yeah, everybody thought that except the Rockies, whatever the yeah. hell they did. Yeah, um, I, I, truly, I, yeah. They only traded Michael Givens a couple days before the deadline. That's the only that's the only guy they kept Trevor Story. And Trevor Story even was confused. He even came out and said he's like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why I wasn't traded. Like he didn't get it. So um every year there's a team or two that does it wrong. And 
that's the Rockies. And then there's a team that does it right, and it's the Cubs. Cubs nailed this deadline. Um, I mean, there was rumors going in that they would maybe trade one of the three rental bats. They traded all three of them. Um, they traded Kimbrel and got Nick Madrigal for him, who's a potential impact everyday player who's just out for the rest of the year with an injury, and he'll come back. And then they added some really good prospects. So to me, the Cubs did a really, really good job selling. And if I ran a team, which I don't recommend, but if I ran a team, um, I would have operated very similar to how the Cubs did. Right. You never want to tread water. Uh, I mean, you right. want to either, you know, start looking towards the yeah. future or or start competing and, in the now. And, and, and yeah. And yeah. And also, like, if I were in the Mets case and I'm Steve Cohen and have that financial might, I'm not afraid to let Marcus Stroman go to the no. whoever and then going and signing him back in the offseason or letting Michael Conforto go to the Giants and then signing him back in the offseason. Like, I wouldn't be worried about that because my wallet's bigger than everybody else's. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. So I, I think it would have been, you know, it would have been a fire sale in that situation. Obviously, a guy like VR on a one-year deal, you're, you're just getting whatever you can get for someone like him. But I think Joe and I are clearly aligned that Dom and Pete are here for the long haul. I will say this about Nimmo: as vital as he is for this lineup, and you know, I just, I just don't think he's ever gonna be reliable in terms of being on the field. I just think at this point, if this is what's happening in his twenties, it's, it's. Let me give you a hint: it doesn't get better when you're in your thirties. So, I love Nimmo. I, I hope it works out. I just think we. At some point, you kind of know uh, it stinks, but you kind of know when a guy has missed the amount of time this guy has missed in his career. It just is what it is at this point. Great when you have him, but you can't rely on him. So that would have been a really interesting one. And it goes back to, you know, what are they going to deem as the core this offseason? I, I think we're, we're going to find out. I think they want Stroman in that core. I think that I wouldn't trade McNeil. I think that he he's obviously turned it on very recently. I think that there's a sample size there with McNeil that, and he's really turned it on recently. I didn't realize he's up to hitting 270 already. I think McNeil is a really good hitter and a versatile fielder that's under team control that you know you'd want around. And if they if they just let McNeil walk when his free agency is up, I believe, in two years, I want to say, because he'll he'll be an older free agent because he made his debut so late. So I lied. McNeil will be a 33-year-old free agent. He has three years of arbitration left after this. So I'll tell you right now, there is no way in hell I'm trading Jeff McNeil. He's one of the best value pieces this team has for the next three years where they need they need their value pieces. You're playing, you're paying Lindor a ton of money. You're going to be paying the pitching a ton of money. McCann makes, you know, decent money. If Javi Baez is here long term, he's going to be making a ton of money. We got to figure out what the hell this outfield is going to look like next year. So knowing that McNeil's got to be part of the core in my eyes. Yeah, I don't disagree with that at all. And McNeil's a guy you could ride until he's 33 and you could decide at that point, like, hey, man, you want to stay for another year or two or just, you know, end it there and have him go be a 33, 34 year old somewhere else. And, you know, that's, that's the price sometimes when you're a, when you're a later, a late development guy that doesn't reach the major leagues until was it 26. He made his debut, right? 
I think. Yes, I think yeah. 27. Yeah. yeah, 27. Yeah. So when you make the major leagues that late, that's that comes with is being a later free agent. But yeah, no, I, I'm with you as far as McNeil being part of the core, Pete, Dom. Um, but yeah, I, I basically just, like I said, every rental that someone wanted, basically the best deal I could get for them, they'd be gone. And then I'd field offers on some of the other controllable assets. All right, final question from today's show. And I'm going to just toss this one right to you because I've already been vocal about it. This is from Kevin Chamberlain. He says, do you think Baez has a legit chance to sign on long-term here as the second baseman? What are the ramifications if that happens? That's a good podcast listener and Kevin because not there's always got to be uh, some kind of reaction or some kind of negative effect to a lot of good moves. So what are your thoughts here? Adding the ramifications changes the conversation for sure. Right. Because do I think Baez has a legit chance to sign long-term here as a second baseman? Sure. Steve Cohen has a lot of money. Baez has been open that he would sign with the team that has Francisco Lindor, which is the Mets, to play second base. So the first part, that's an easy one. Yeah, legit chance, sure. It depends how much money he gets and yada, yada. All, you know, all those things that go without saying. Um, the ramifications are he's your everyday second baseman. Thus, Jeff McNeil, the aforementioned that we just were talking about, moves to third base, which it's not his strongest position, if we're being honest, or left field, where he's just okay. Um, so it, the ramifications are what happens long term at third base and left field, because not only do you have McNeil, you have J.D. Davis. You have Dom Smith, though granted you're probably having the DH coming so he could spend some time at DH or first base and you could kind of flip him and Pete there. Um, then you have prospects. You have Brett Beatty coming up. You have Mark Vientos breaking out on the scene in a big way that those guys are playing third base and left field in double A right now. So the ramifications are you sort of lose a little flexibility with some other players, but obviously... If you're willing to pay Javi Baez, whatever it's going to cost, a hundred and something, two hundred million dollars, you know, whatever that number ends up being, you're cl clearly willing to take that risk with the other players for the potential impact of Javi Baez. But to me, it, the biggest ramifications are what ends up being the short and longer term assessment of left field and third base for the organization. Yeah, it's a great point, and it's one that you look at it right now. I mean, is there anything more unpredictable right now with this organization than what the corner outfield is going to look like in the future? Because like you said, with the DH coming, and Dom's been solid in left field. He's been better than I ever thought he would be. I'll give Dom a lot of credit. I know he works hard. Um, he's an athletic guy for a bigger guy. I think when you look at it, though, you know, Dom will play some left, of course, but Dom will also play some first when Pete DHs. And right field... Could be a gigantic hole. If you're paying Javi Baez, you're probably not paying Michael Conforto. And and uh, I understand. You know, I'm just with a little Google machine here reading an article that said, you know, Buster only had a report in an insider article that the Cubs offered Javi Baez a contract extension in the range of $180 million, but specifics weren't given on the length of the deal. And Baez reportedly declined the offer, hopeful to build upon his value. That was from the spring. I... Do not think somebody's going to come out and give Javi Baez $200 million. I, I just, and it may, no, I could be wrong, 
It's a pretty strong free agent market in the infield. Actually, very strong free agent market in the infield. Uh, I don't know. That would surprise me. So I think there's a chance. I think there's actually a, a decent chance that they at least, you know, really look into it. And then the ramifications become, like Joe said, you know, where are you getting some value? I, the thing for me, Joe, is I, I think we're at the point where, and I know they've done it a little bit, this team has to start preparing Mark Vientos to play a corner spot, right? Right now, Mark Vientos and Brett Beatty are alternating playing third base and left field, essentially, not li- literally every other day, but they're they're splitting time evenly between left and third base, and that's where they're that's where the focus is. I know he, Vientos played some first earlier on in the season. He's done that a lot less of late. So it seems like they're definitely trying to keep him on the left side. And they're I think they're just trying to figure out what's the best combination because the Mets are very high on both of those players and I think have visions of both of those players being a part of this core going forward. And they're just trying to figure out what's the better defensive combination. Is it? Beatty being a little better at third than Vientos or is it you know uh is Vientos in left field that much of a disaster right so they're just kind of going back and forth I think to figure it out when I went to the Rumble Ponies game Vientos was in left um didn't really get a ton of opportunities I mean caught a couple fly balls that he didn't have to move much for uh he had a throw to try to throw a guy out at the plate and the throw was very offline um, had enough strength to get there. It just wasn't accurate. Uh, so I think, you know, hypothetically he could handle it. But the problem is neither of those guys are elite athletes. So you're not uh, you're not getting, you know, a really impactful defensive left fielder. You're kind of taking the bat and sacrificing a bit defensively out there with either of them. But you look at those two bats, they have a chance to be very impactful. And I just think the Mets are trying to just do their best to see how the puzzle pieces will fit. And then obviously at that point, you're having the conversation, where is Jeff McNeil? I think that's kind of a golden question right now, right? Yeah. And hey, if uh, the way I look at it is, if the worst thing that happens is the Mets have far too many good players that they don't know where to put them, I think I think we'll be able to survive. Someone someone will get yeah. hurt where Jeff yeah. McNeil's playing every day, yeah. okay? I yeah. mean, let's be real. A guy that has experience in the outfield, third base and second base and with a, a DH lineup coming where you're going to need more uh, more juice in the lineup. Yeah, he'll find a place to play at some point. I think you know, I think something too that this isn't what you and I are particularly going to get into while the team's in the heat of a divisional race in August is that in the offseason, you know, they maybe they look to trade a whether it's a Ronnie Mauricio or or someone a big piece for a different position. And what I mean by that is maybe they use one of their big chips in the prospect pool uh, to get a right fielder if Conforto leaves or, or something along those lines. I think those are the things right now that those are better conversations for us to have when our entire show in November is offseason related. But I, I am the one thing that excites me with this front office and with this um, heavily invested analytics group under this ownership is that I think we'll see a little bit more creativity than we're used to seeing as well. 
I agree. I think you're going to see a very interesting offseason and we're the creativity is going to be big. You know, they're they're going to have some guys with some control that they might consider trading to upgrade. So I think they're going to do their best to protect the farm system. You know, I think they're very cognizant that the depth of the farm system was part of the reason that they struggled, you know, making a flurry of moves, I'd say, at the trade deadline. So I don't think you're going to see them dipping into that farm system too much. Uh, I think they're going to be careful about it. And I think they're they're looking at the 2022 draft as a big opportunity to increase the depth and talent in the system. And I think you'll see them maybe be a little more creative with guys on the major league roster being, you know, trade options. All right. Well, that's the mailbag. That's episode 53. Um, you know, a lot of... Uh, a lot of things we had to go through that are not so fun. Obviously, the Rockers situation, you know, very interesting and ex- and quite frankly, really exciting trade deadline. And next week, it'll be it'll be back to baseball. A lot more on the big league club. This is a huge week for this Mets team and, and hopefully a positive week. Hopefully the turning point uh, for this mini skid. And, and of course, the minors as well, uh, because the, the players in the minors have been playing really, really well. And uh, Joe had an updated top 20 prospect list, which everyone should go read because there was a lot of shift in that. I think not necessarily at the top, but I I found the the bottom half to be kind of interesting to see how guys have gone up and down since the beginning of the year. And some names that, quite frankly, haven't been in it at all. So, Joe, closing thoughts, episode 53. Yeah, you mentioned that top 20 list. Thanks for plugging for me because I'm kind of crappy at plugging myself. Uh, Go to SNY.TV. And check it out or look on my Twitter, of course, at PSL2Flushing and, you know, check out that top 20. Uh, I updated it. It was Sons, uh, Kumar Rocker and Pete Crow Armstrong, unfortunately. So that was a bit of a bummer to have to make a list and, and not have those guys to write about. But it was just a good exercise to see, you know, who has stepped up. And, you know, I, I threw three draft picks that they signed inside of the top 20. So, uh, all in all, they didn't do. It's not like they had a, a brutal draft by any means. It just stinks to be a, without the first rounder. But they got three guys that can fit in their top twenty. And uh, yeah, no, check that out. And you know, we'll we'll hope that the big league team turns it around starting tonight in Miami. And you know, hopefully they're able to take three or four and take that step forward that they really need to because obviously the division's getting tight. Absolutely. All right, everyone. Keep those iTunes reviews coming. We will always answer the Apple podcast questions above all else. Keep the Twitter questions coming and please subscribe to the YouTube. We're going to try to do a video, um, you know, every now and then on the biggest topics. It's the best way for us to react a little quicker on here. We'll keep the longer conversations to the podcast. Thanks so much, everyone. Catch you next week for episode 54. I'm Amira Rose Davis, host of the new season of American Prodigy, all about black girls in gymnastics. My white coaches just said, you may not get the scores that you deserve because you're Black. It's the story of a decades-long struggle of Black gymnasts trying to find and amplify their voices. I can't be the next Simone Biles. I can't be the next Dominique Dodds. I can only be the next version of myself. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts.